Pastor Xavier Reese and the call to service on today's Simple Truths. You are a chosen vessel. I am a chosen vessel. God has called you to do something that no one else can do for this age. To fill a spot in the church of Jesus Christ that makes the body complete. As you walk with God, as you study the scriptures, as you sit and discern the voice of God. And then there's going to be that practical application to step out by faith and to be used. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Pastor Xavier, we've heard you passionately speak about all believers getting involved in serving the kingdom. You and I are much like the human body. Paul makes this simple analogy to the Corinthians. And your hand, your feet, your ear, they all belong to the body, but they have particular functions. And no part of the body is there to serve itself. And so God's will is that each individual seek the Lord for that purpose, the function, and the gifts that accompany that call. So that the body can flow, and the body can mature, and the body can benefit from each member of the body, edifying itself in love, as Ephesians says. And so the church is not just for people to come and to get things, but you are to come knowing you're part of the church to see where it is you fit so that you can make the church function effectively. Your gift is not occupying three feet of pew. Your gift is not criticizing. Your gift is to edify the body of Jesus Christ. And so each of us have that challenge. And as we begin to study Titus, Titus certainly knew his calling, his gifts. And Paul the Apostle writes to him as he is very effective in this very hard area of Crete. And yet he was the man for the hour, for the time, with the gifts that God had given to him. And so we pray that you would yield to God, his calling, his gifts, and that you would follow him, not what somebody tells you you should be doing. You go to the Lord, but make sure that you are involved in the body of Jesus Christ. And as you listen to the studies, remember we appreciate a response. Let us know if the ministry of Simple Truths is meeting your needs. If you have some suggestions, whatever it may be. We also welcome that too. And so the Lord bless you. Yes, hearing the feedback from our listeners really is the best way for us to know how we've been a ministry to those listening. So why not jot us a quick email? You can send it to simpletruths at ccpas.com. That's simpletruths at ccpas.com. Or write us at Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. I'll be repeating those at the end of the broadcast, so we hope you'll stay tuned as we get today's study underway titled, Servants and Apostles. Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Though we're going to be looking at Paul, it is applicable to all of us. Never read the New Testament or the Old, thinking that it does not apply to you. In principle, it will apply to all of us all the time, sometimes very directly by command of the New Testament, as well as the Old. And here as Paul opens up in his salutation after the manner of the day, from verse 1 through 4 we find that salutation, and we see the identity of the writer, the identity of the recipient, and the intended regards. Now the salutation consists of the first three verses. 
here, literally down to four. But we're only going to look at the opening verse and not all of it. Verse one. And what we want to do is look at three things about Paul that will kind of set the stage as we move through our messages in the book of Titus. Let me read here. Verse one. Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the opening verse we're going to look at. Here's the three things we're going to look at. Paul the man. Paul the servant of God. And Paul the apostle of Jesus Christ. Every one of these things will apply to us and does apply to us. Paul the man is the foundation. As you can see there, first of all, his name Paul means little or small. Tradition tells us that Paul was a man of small stature. Now, in other cultures, any name that's given to you, nicknames or stuff like that, many times it is related to your physical stature, to your characteristics, to your uh, habits. And, and that name is embraced with endearment, with love. It's not offensive. Paul here... His name indicates that most likely, according to his physical stature, he was a very small man. In fact, tradition tells us that he was bow-legged and had a hooked nose. How ironic it is that even in our Western culture, we usually associate those prominent preachers with big old pompadour, $1,000 suits, white shoes, good looking. God is not like that. God says, man, I need to make an impact in this generation. Let's see, who's he? How about that bow-legged, hook-nosed guy? I think I can use him. You see, the whole point is that God uses instruments where he alone gets glory. He's not looking for beautiful instruments. He's looking for available instruments. Those who are going to yield to him. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have... Beautiful instruments. But the focus on the human side is always that. And that's a danger. And so often people are caught up with the man. And it seems that even at times God has to remove men. So that God can be seen on a new perspective all over again. Isaiah the prophet most likely had his eyes on Uzziah the king as many of the people in Israel. As you know when we studied Isaiah. And God removed him. And it says, when the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up in his temple. And when he saw him, he says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah saw himself and he saw God. And so often we, get, we allow a man to become the obstacle and, and we, we really aren't depending on God. We're depending on the man, on the church, on the system, on the movement or whatever it may be. And we've got it on cruise control and there's no rolling up of the sleeves and digging in for the gold ourselves. Paul was an avid, avid student of the word of God. You can see when we get to Second Timothy. And we've taken Titus because that's the proper order. First Timothy, Titus written somewhere about the same time. We don't know which one was written first, as we'll discuss tonight. And then Second Timothy is the last one. And Paul's just about at the end of his life. And Paul the Apostle, even there at his last will and testament, he tells Timothy to bring the parchment so he can study. 
He knows he's going to die, and he says, bring some parchments. Study the scriptures. We're not done until God's done with us. The New Testament records his name 163 times. The name identifies him as the author of the epistle. Then you have these higher critics and people who write their PhDs and their papers, and they say, well, Paul didn't write this epistle. It says Paul, first word. But secondly, his name was not always Paul. His name used to be Saul, which means ask or request. Literally, to pray in the Hebrew. Prior to his Damascus conversion, as you know, in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, he was asking for letters of the religious rulers to destroy the church. He was thinking himself to do service to God by killing Christians and incarcerating them and causing them to blaspheme God because he thought that they were a cult against Judaism. And he was fervent, unequal to his contemporaries. At his conversion, if you remember, he asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him that he was a chosen vessel to bear his name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. In Acts chapter 9, verse 6 and 15. You are a chosen vessel. I am a chosen vessel. God has called you to do something that no one else can do for this age. To fill a spot in the church of Jesus Christ that makes the body complete. You're the only one responsible to know what that is. I, I don't know that. I can't find that out for you. As you walk with God, as you study the scriptures, as you sit and discern the voice of God, He will reveal that to you. And then there's going to be that practical application to step out by faith and to begin to be used. And to let God direct and guide you. Paul acknowledged that as a man he owed his existence to a creator who was Lord of his life. Now, his name Saul was changed to Paul. Saul came first. Paul came second. The one is Hebrew, the other one Greek. His name Saul seems to have been used even after his conversion, if you remember, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, where they're there at Antioch. And the Holy Spirit spoke out, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work of ministry which I have called them. And he sent them out on the first missionary journey. And there he still called Saul. He is mentioned by the name Saul two times in that first missionary journey. When they sail from Paphos to Perga, all of a sudden, there's a change. It says Paul. From that point on, he's not only called Paul always, but the order also changes. It's no longer Barnabas and Saul, but it's Paul and Barnabas. So his name is changed and the order of leadership changes. This man who was a destroyer of the church, this man who just was zealous to just incarcerate Christians, became snatched up as a branch out of the fire by the Lord, and nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. In fact, when he left Damascus and he scurried off running for his life, Nobody wanted to touch him in Jerusalem. They thought he was an undercover Pharisee. Barnabas takes a chance. He brings him in, introduces him to the apostles. 
He starts preaching Christ, gets too hot to handle. You send him on R&R up to Tarsus. He's up there for about nine years preaching, content what God is doing through him, not concerned about being around the big names. And now Barnabas seeks him out. And he brings him down to Antioch. He needs someone who can communicate and identify with the Greeks, the Gentiles. So, Paul. Barnabas is probably one of the greatest disciples of the New Testament apart from Paul. He was a man who took chances on people. John Mark failed in the missionary journey. Wanted to go on the second journey. Paul says, no way. Barnabas says, come on, go with me. <laughs> Paul gets to the end of his life in 2 Timothy. He says, by the way, bring Mark. He's profitable for ministry. <laughs> He's a man who takes chances on people. We need Barnabas in the church today. We need Paul's. We're all different. But fourthly, his name represented the seasoned warrior. Paul the Age. He had preached in Damascus. He had met with the apostles at Jerusalem. He had preached and planted churches in and around Tarsus. He had been at the work of the church at Antioch, the groundwork there with the Gentiles. He had been the representative for the Gentiles of the first church council so that they would not have to be put under the law. He had been called by God to the mission field and with three missionary journeys, he had established churches throughout Asia and Europe. And he had brought financial help to the poor Jews at Jerusalem of the church. And then he was incarcerated for two years. And consequently, seeing himself as a political scapegoat, he appealed to Caesar and he was sent to Caesar and then he was released. Now, he has left Timothy at Ephesus, and he's left Titus at Crete as his representatives. And shortly, not too long, his life's going to be over. But what a history to look back and to see how God used him. What a privilege it is for you to sit and to grow in Christ and to be involved in ministry and to make a progress that's forward advancing Ongoing, And you can look back through the years when you get to be 30, 40, 50, 60. And you look back and you can see how God has used you and what God has done. There's the benefit of being a Christian. Ecclesiastes Solomon says that you have to be walking with God because the years of your old age will come when you will have no pleasure in life. And the years that are going to sustain you are those that you have walked with God. Sometimes people say, well, I'll just get in at the end. <laughs> well, who says you're going to get in? Who says you can get in? But as you walk with God, when those difficult times come, and they will come one way or the other, then you're going to have history to draw from. You're going to be able to look back. You're going to be able to remind yourself, this is what God did. God was faithful. He never failed me. Isaiah the prophet said, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God said, Who shall I send? And Isaiah said, Send me. Send me. Today in the church, everybody says, Oh, no, send him. Don't send me. 
but a perfect picture of what each of us are to be before God by the name Paul. We're to see ourselves as little before our Creator. Insignificant. In fact, Paul the Apostle tells the Galatians, Galatians 6.3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. People, our nation, our generation, the world, is a beautiful picture of a placard of boasting. <laughs> the me generation. We believe in no one but ourselves. We believe that we can muster it up. It's in us somehow if we dig deep enough. And we bought the philosophy of the world and much of that has come into the church. And it's wrong. What a proper perspective each of us are to have by being dependent on God, asking Him for everything of our needs. Now when we first come to Christ, oh, we're asking the Lord and believing anything and everything. But then we get cultured and refined and move on and now we're organized and we're a church. And, and so, you know, we, we go through the motions. Oh, yes, God bless this food and Lord and Uncle Bill and oh, Sally too. Okay, amen. And there's no more passion. There's a complacency. There's a lethargy. What a picture of the Christian today. Being complacent. People going to hell. Spiritual warfare going on. Eternity at stake. And we're saying, what do you think about the sermon today? What do you think about this new rock group? <laughs> uh, you believe Calvinism? You believe Arminianism. And we're involved in things that really matter absolutely nothing. Rather than the critical things of the kingdom. Luke 12.30 says, For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows what you need of these things. Jesus says the Gentiles seek after all these things. You know what he said. Food, clothing, this and that. And lilies of the field and Solomon and all his glory. And he spoke all of that. Nothing wrong with the things. But we, we ask him for them. Lord, provide. Provide funds to go to this retreat, Lord. Lord, give me the, the, the frugality on, on how to work it out so I can, I, I can send my kids to camp. I can do this or whatever. You're asking. You're, you're, you're pleading. You're, you're, you're coming sincerely and God comes through. But then later on you have the money so you just write the check. Instead of saying, Lord, is this your will? Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and we very... Slowly and progressively start transferring our dependency on God, asking for everything, to utilizing the things to replace God. Nothing wrong with the things. What's wrong is my attitude, my perspective. This is innate in all of us, your pastor included. I have to put a guard against it. What an exciting day the future holds for each of us as we walk with God daily. And we are able to look back and see the hand of God throughout our lives as seasoned and tried warriors. Able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As Paul tells us in the last will and testament, 2 Timothy 4.7. I want to finish well. I want to finish stronger than I started. How about you? <laughs> but I want to run hard and I want to run wise. And I want to run consistently to accomplish what God has for me. 
This should be our attitude, all of us. Not just the pastor. This was Paul the man as a vessel of God. Notice, secondly, we see Paul the servant of God. First of all, the word for bondservant means a slave by choice for life. There were servants that served for a set time to pay off their debt. There were servants that were born into slavery, so there was two types. There were slaves that served for life of their own free will, bond servants. That's what the word is here. And they had sold themselves into bondage to pay off the debt in six years. In the seventh year, they were allowed to be released. And then they would say, you know what? I don't want to be released. This is what the servant did. He sold himself because he owed a debt. He paid the debt off. But during those six years, he spent those six years in his master's house. And he personally experienced the type of man he was. His justice. His equity. His fairness. And at the end of those six years, if he was an equitable man, he concluded this. I cannot do better for myself than what he can do for me. So I'm going to give my life to him and serve him. Because that's the best thing for my life. What a parallel to our call in Jesus Christ. We willfully become bond servants of Jesus Christ because we know he is the one that can do best for my life. He can do for me what I cannot do for myself. And you know the whole procedure that went through where the elders would be gathered and he would take that servant to the doorpost of his house, put his ear to the doorpost and get an awl and a hammer, make a hole and put an earring in his ear. And when you saw a man with an earring, it meant that he was a bond slave, a one who served his master by free choice for life. There's an interesting parallel there with the piercing of the ear. It parallels with the cross, the crucifixion of the flesh. Isaiah 50 says about Jesus Christ, you, I have opened my ear to you. He's the bond servant. The epitome of bond servant. And so what a parallel to us. A bond servant's loyalty was complete to his master. A bond servant was the possession of his master. A bond servant's duty was to obey his master completely. And a bond servant was concerned with one thing and one thing alone. The will of his master. It's no surprise the word that Paul uses through the New Testament is bond servant. In fact, the title of bond servant is after the example of Christ. Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 16, that he being their Lord washed their feet therefore they ought to wash one another's feet for the servant doulos is not greater than his lord there's the principle guys we have to be also careful not to exalt ourselves above our master he who was god became man and he came and he washed feet when i get above that and i think i'm beyond that i've gone beyond my master <laughs> what a message for the church today 
and not just a message, but the Lord making himself an example of devoted service to the Master of all. Now, there's much more to this study that we'll be able to share on our next get-together, but if we can get a copy of it into your hands in the meantime, just get in touch and ask for the study titled Servants and Apostles. They're available on CD for only $4. Again, that title, Servants and Apostles, or simply mention today's date when writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And use that address, too, when sending along your comments to Pastor Xavier regarding our broadcast ministry. Or if email is more convenient, you can send it to Simple Truths at ccpas.com. That's Simple Truths at ccpas.com. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Is success in your future? We'll find out what it takes on our next program. Join Pastor Xavier Reese for more Simple Truths right here. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 